Forgiveness is a fatherly virtue. That, I believe, is the simple and clear message the Lord has for us on this beautiful Father's Day morning. Forgiveness is a fatherly virtue. Let me begin my homily by asking you to reflect on this question. What was your earthly father like? Or if he's still alive, what is he like? Would you say that he was, or that he is, a forgiving person? That's a very important question. Because the level, the quality of your earthly father's forgiveness has a direct impact on your life right now. It has a direct influence on your family life right now. It even has a direct impact on your present relationship with Almighty God. More on those things in a few moments. Paragraph 239 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church reminds us that God is the origin and standard of human fatherhood and motherhood. Consequently, if we want to know what it truly means to be a good father here on earth, we should look first and foremost not to anyone here on earth. We should look first and foremost to God, our Father in heaven. And when we do that, we see that one of the most important aspects of our Heavenly Father's divine personhood is His willingness to forgive. Our God, thankfully, is a forgiving Lord. This is why I began my homily by saying that forgiveness is a fatherly virtue. It's a fatherly virtue because God is forgiving. And God is the origin and standard of all fatherhood. We see the Heavenly Father's forgiveness illustrated very well and very beautifully in the story of King David in the Old Testament, part of which we heard in today's first reading, that text from 2 Samuel 12. Most of us know the story, but for the few who might not, here are the important details. After he had been anointed king of Israel to replace Saul, David was taking a stroll one night, the Bible tells us, on the roof of his palace. And as he was taking that stroll that evening, he looked out and he saw in the distance a beautiful woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. Well, at that moment, he did not guard his eyes, and lust took over very quickly. And he decided to invite her over to his place to, quote-unquote, see his etchings, as Bishop Sheen used to put it. She came over. The two committed the sin of adultery. Not long afterward, she found herself pregnant with David's child. She knew it had to be David's because her husband Uriah had been away for some time fighting in a war in David's army. Fighting for David and for Israel. Well, once David found out about the pregnancy, 
he immediately called Uriah home from the war. And he said, why don't you go home and see your wife? David was no fool. He was hoping that Uriah would sleep with Bathsheba and end up thinking that he was the father of the child. And since there wasn't any DNA testing available at the time, David's little devious plot had a very good chance of succeeding. But Uriah was a good soldier. When you read the text, when you read the Bible itself, you see there's a big contrast between the unfaithful King David, unfaithful at least at this point in his life, and the faithful Uriah, who wants to do the right thing. Uriah was a good soldier, and good Israelite soldiers who were at war were not supposed to go home and take time off. They were to be vigilant. They were to be on guard. They were to be fighting. So they weren't to go home and see their wives and families. And guess what? David said go, but Uriah did not. Instead, he slept in the courtyard of David's palace. Well, David found out about it and decided to take a little different approach. He called Uriah in again the next day, got him drunk. He figured that would work. Then he said, go home, see your wife. But again, Uriah slept in the palace courtyard. It's interesting. Even a drunk Uriah was better than a sober David. Well, at that point, David had had enough. He immediately wrote a letter to his general, Joab, and told him to put Uriah in the front lines of the next big battle. Then he said to Joab, when the fighting gets really bad, pull all the rest of your men back and leave Uriah there alone to be killed. Well, this time, David's plan worked. That made him guilty of two, not one, but two capital sins adultery, and murder. And the interesting thing is, King David felt absolutely, positively, no guilt for either one of those sins. Until the prophet Nathan presented him with a social problem one day that supposedly involved somebody else. It's always easier to see other people's faults. Nathan said, David, tell me, what do you think about this case. There was a very rich and powerful man who had many flocks, who had herds in great numbers. But this guy went out and stole a ewe lamb from a very poor man. In fact, it was the only lamb this poor man owned because he wanted to feed his hungry friend who happened to come for a visit. David got livid. He said, the man who did such a thing deserves to die. Nathan responded, well, it's interesting that you should say that, David, because that man is you. Then Nathan uttered the words we heard a few moments ago in our first reading. Listen to them again now in their proper context, knowing all this background. Nathan said to David, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king of Israel. I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your Lord's house and your Lord's wives for your own. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that were not enough, I could count for you still more. Why have you spurned the Lord and done evil in his sight? 
You have cut down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You took his wife as your own, and him you killed with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, David, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah to be your wife. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan answered, David, the Lord on his part has forgiven your sin. You shall not die. David received forgiveness from the Heavenly Father once he sincerely repented for what he had done. That should give us hope. That should give us all hope, even for the worst of sinners. Of course, David still had to face some negative consequences for his sins, one of which was the death of his infant son the son he had with Bathsheba. But his own guilt was taken away. And it's said that in thanksgiving, in gratitude, he wrote the Miserere, Psalm number 51, one of the most famous, best known, most beloved psalms in the Bible. It's the one that begins with the words, Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness, in your compassion, blot out my offense. Wash me more and more from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. Forgiveness is a fatherly virtue because it has its origin in God the Father. King David was a living witness to that important truth. Fathers here in the church this morning, I ask you this question. Do your children experience the Heavenly Father's forgiveness through you whenever they repent? Or do you withhold forgiveness from them? Now please don't misunderstand the question. I'm not implying here that you shouldn't discipline your children. Forgiveness and discipline are two separate issues. Remember, King David was still disciplined after the Heavenly Father forgave him. He still had to face some negative consequences for his actions. But in the midst of the punishment he had to endure, David knew in the very depths of his heart and soul that his sins had been wiped away. At the beginning of my homily, I asked everyone in the congregation to think of their own father. I said that the experience of our earthly father's forgiveness, or lack of it, has a direct impact on us right now. It has a direct impact on our family life. And that it even influences our present relationship with God. That should come as no surprise. That should make perfect sense. For example, if my earthly father refused to forgive me over and over again in my childhood, I will probably have great difficulty believing that my heavenly father will be willing to forgive me now in my adulthood. 
The tendency will be for me to project my earthly father's unforgiveness onto God, the Heavenly Father. And that will have terrible consequences for me in my spiritual life. Now, lest you earthly dads think that I'm only speaking to you today, please understand I am also speaking to myself. I am also speaking to all priests, all spiritual fathers. I have to take this message seriously as well. You see, if I treat people unkindly as a spiritual father, especially in the confessional, a place where they are supposed to experience God's compassion and forgiveness, if I do that, chances are those people will project my anger and my lack of charity onto Almighty God. And they will be spiritually scarred for many years, perhaps. They might even abandon the church and the practice of their Catholic faith altogether. And we've all heard stories of this kind, have we not? I told the priest my sins the other day in confession. That priest yelled at me. He screamed at me. He humiliated me. I will never go back. It's happened. I'll conclude my homily this morning with two words. They're the words of a request, which were first spoken by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, as he hung on the cross on Good Friday. The words are, Father, forgive. Jesus Christ, I believe, says those very same words this morning to all of us dads. You earthly dads, natural fathers, and he says them to me, a spiritual father. Father, forgive. But he says those words to each of us not as a request. He says those words to each of us today as a command. Father, forgive. Father, forgive your children as often as they need to be forgiven.